of Nehemiah entitled, What Does God Want Me to Do With My Life? Have you ever asked that question? Have you ever wondered, is there a purpose for me? I, I go to work, I take care of my kids, but does God have something that he wants me to do with my life? What's the significance of my life? Well, today we want to look at the book of Nehemiah because the book of Nehemiah answers those kind of questions. Nehemiah found what God wanted him to do with his life and it shows us how we can find God's will, his purpose for our lives as well. Now, the book of Nehemiah has two parts, so we're going to give two answers to this question, what does God want me to do with my life? And the first seven chapters, or the first half of the book of Nehemiah, gives this answer that we're going to begin to explore today, and that is that God wants me to invest my life in his work. God wants you to invest your life in his work. He's got work for you to do. He's got a job for you. He's got assignments for you in your daily life. The key word in the first seven chapters of the book of Nehemiah is work. We'll see this word 17 times in these seven chapters. God's got work for you to do. And that work will bring you fulfillment in your life. Now you may be thinking, well, I know God's got work for you. You're a pastor. You're a preacher. I'm not a a pastor or a preacher. Neither was Nehemiah. Nehemiah's job was that he was cupbearer to the king of Persia. That meant that Nehemiah went to get the king's Starbucks every morning to make sure that nobody was poisoning him. It meant that if somebody brought the king a a drink from Sonic, Nehemiah had to pour a little of it into another cup first and taste it. See if anything happened to him. If he fell over dead, that was a pretty good indication. Somebody was trying to poison the king. That was Nehemiah's job. A little bit more than that to oversee the food and the drink of the king. But his main job was to protect the king and to keep him from being poisoned. So he wasn't a preacher. He wasn't a pastor. He had a job like you have a job. But in and through and beyond his work and beyond his family, God had a purpose for Nehemiah's life. He's got a purpose for your life and my life. He's got assignments. He's got a mission. Now, how do you find that greater purpose for your life? How do you find that mission? How do you know what the work is that God wants you to do? That's what Nehemiah 1 is about, and that's what we're going to try to answer today. How do I begin to find what God wants me to do with my life in serving Him. Before we begin to look at Nehemiah 1, I want to share the background with you because this is part of the history of the Old Testament, and it's out of history that God has revealed Himself. So we want to understand a little bit of the background. The people of Israel, the Israelites, were God's chosen people. He chose one nation. He's going to bless the world through them, send us a Savior. But He had told these chosen people... If you disobey me, if you stray from me, I will chastise you. And so God did what he had said, and he allowed the nation of Babylon to invade the land of Israel. I've got a map up here. There's a a timeline in your bulletin that gives you a timeline view. Here's a little bit of a, a map. So here is Judah and Jerusalem. And here's the nation of Babylon, the city of Babylon. And so God allowed the Babylonians to invade 
Judea. And in 605 B.C., they subjected Judea and Jerusalem and carried off a few of the royals. The first of the exile began. Daniel and his three friends were among these choice men that were taken in exile, 750-mile walk from Jerusalem to Babylon. Then the people of Israel still didn't get the message and didn't repent. And God allowed Babylon a second time to invade. In 597 B.C. carried off 10,000, just a small group the first time, 10,000 in the second wave of exiles. Among them was Ezekiel. And so Ezekiel, as Daniel had made the journey, now Ezekiel is carried off with the exiles. And it's in Babylon that his ministry is there trying to call the nation to repent. They still didn't repent, so in 586 B.C., God allowed Babylon to invade Judah for a third and final time, and this time was not just taking some people and some resources, it was complete annihilation. You read it in the last chapters of Kings and Chronicles, they burnt down the temple, they tore down the walls around the city of Jerusalem. Jerusalem was reduced to rubble, and the final exiles were taken to uh, Babylon. Uh, You see... There's a lesson for the United States there. We're not the, we're not the chosen people of, of Israel, but God deals with nations. And I pray God's not using North Korea and the threat there to discipline and chastise us. I pray there'll be renewal in our nation that will not bring upon us the wrath of God. Second map sort of shows you a modern day uh, view of this. and So you can sort of get where, uh, where this relates to modern political geography. So, so Babylon is where modern day Iraq is. And um, uh, then after the exile, God promised it would last only 70 years. And so after 70 years were up, about 538 B.C., God allowed Persia, which is where modern-day Iran is, so so Iran attacked Iraq. But anyway, uh, Persia conquered the Babylonians. And you see, God used Babylon to discipline his people, and then he punished the sins of Babylon. And so he allowed In this third map, we see now Persia has taken over all of the yellow. And Susa is the winter capital of Persia, where the story of Nehemiah takes place. And so in 538, Cyrus, king of Persia, let the exiles go home, reversed the policy of the Babylonians. And so now the first wave of exiles, 43,000 of them, make the journey back to Judea, back home, second wave of exiles came in in 458 BC under Ezra. We're going to meet Ezra as we go through the book of Nehemiah. And so another group returned uh, from Susa, from Persia to there. Meanwhile, there are still Jews living. Not every Jew goes back home. There's still a colony, still a population of Jews in Persia. And so this is where the story of Esther takes place. Before Nehemiah, even though Esther is after Nehemiah in your Bible, Esther becomes the queen of Persia, and God uses her in that position. You see, God had to work for Esther. He's got to work for you. And Esther was used to preserve the Jews from annihilation. You can read that book, and that sets up our book of Nehemiah. And so in 445 B.C., Nehemiah, cupbearer to the king of Persia in the winter capital of Susa, and that's where our story Begins. Let's read in Nehemiah chapter 1, beginning at verse 1, the words of Nehemiah, son of Hakalah, 
And so this is a personal memoir. From this point on, the first seven chapters are all in the first person. Nehemiah is telling his own story. Changes in chapter, chapter 8. First seven chapters, Nehemiah dictated or recorded his own story. In the month of Kislev, that's a month in the winter, that's December, corresponds to our December. They're in the winter capital of Susa. In the 20th year, 20th year of Artaxerxes, Xerxes, his father, married to Esther. Now the son of Xerxes has become uh, king. He's Artaxerxes, and it's in his 20th year. While I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judea, from Judah, with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. He wants to report what's going on in our homeland, 750 miles away, don't have phones, don't have internet. What's going on over there? They said to me, verse 3, those who survived the exile and are back in the provinces are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. So it's been 140 years since the destruction of these walls by the Babylonians and they've never been completely rebuilt yet. The city is vulnerable. The future of God's promises are at stake here. And Nehemiah was not aware of this. He probably thought that when the temple had been rebuilt... When the exiles first went back, Haggai and Zechariah had encouraged the people to build the temple and they'd finally completed the temple. He probably thought the walls had been rebuilt then as well. Now he learns from his brother who comes back to Persia, no, the the city's defenseless. It's still in rubbles. The walls are broken down. And here's Nehemiah's response, verse 4. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Nehemiah has a strong response to this news, doesn't he? What's going on here that Nehemiah has such a strong, visceral response that he cries and he mourns for days and he fasts and he prays? Well, this need has become a burden in the life of Nehemiah that God is calling him to do something about this. Uh, let me share, let's look ahead to chapter 2, and I want to give you a phrase that explains this verse, and we're going to see this verse in both, this phrase in both halves of the book of Nehemiah. It's a key phrase. Chapter 2, verse 12, jump ahead for just a moment, and you'll see the phrase, uh, it says in Nehemiah 2, 12, that I wouldn't tell anyone yet what God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. Why does Nehemiah have this kind of strong response? Because God has put in his heart to do something about this issue. Here's how God works. Here's how you and I discover purposes, assignments for our life. God works in your heart to put burdens on our hearts. Nehemiah became burdened. I've got to do something about this. My homeland, I've got to do something about it. God's calling me to do something. And God had put it in his heart when he heard this news. And God has a purpose and assignment mission for you. And 
He puts it in your heart what he wants you to do. From a New Testament perspective, we call this the work of the Holy Spirit. The third person of the Trinity, the invisible Spirit of God, is at work in our world. It starts even before you're a Christian. You may be here today and and you're not a Christian. You're not a believer. I want you to know that God is already seeking to put things in your heart. The Holy Spirit is working in your life. Let me show you. We skipped to the New Testament for a second to understand what's going on here. John chapter 16, uh, verse uh, 8, Jesus talks about the work of the Holy Spirit. And he says, when he comes, that is when I ascend to heaven and the Holy Spirit comes, the advocate, that's a name for the Holy Spirit, uh, when he comes, he'll prove the world to be wrong. He'll convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. You hear the work of the Holy Spirit in the hearts of people? So the Holy Spirit works in the world. Everybody. He's out there right now working. It's how God works to bring people to his purposes for them. And so if you're not a believer, he's he's working in your heart. You may not have recognized that yet. But if you felt guilty about doing wrong, man, this is wrong in my life about your sin, about your need for righteousness, about coming judgment, if you've ever thought about death and hell, that's the Holy Spirit working in your heart because God loves you and God wants his purposes for you, wants to rescue you, he wants to guide you, and the Holy Spirit is at work putting that on your heart. That's his job in the world. And and so some people try to assuage your guilt. Some popular speakers tell you how to get rid of your guilt. I don't want to do that. I want you to experience guilt. Because when you experience guilt, you can come to a Savior. So if your life's messed up and and you feel guilty and you're worried about death, we don't want that to go away. We want you to help you see that that's a good purpose in your life that can bring you to the one who can get rid of the guilt and give you joy and peace in your life, and his name is Jesus. Now, after you come to faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit is not working in that way anymore, but he's still working in your life. Let me show you another verse in John 16, verse 13, and it says, But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He'll not speak on his own. He'll speak only what he hears, and he'll tell you what is to come. So the Holy Spirit also works in the life of a believer. Just That's what's happening with Nehemiah. He's putting a burden on Nehemiah's heart. And I call it burden because it can be a heaviness. Uh, You can call it a prompting. A leading of the Holy Spirit, for me, oftentimes, it's just something that that crowds into my mind, and I can't get this thought out of my mind. I've got to do something about this. It's someone I've got to talk to about Christ. It's someone I need to pray for. It's someone I need to encourage. Many of the ministries of our church have come through this method of operation where God has put a burden upon my heart or on the heart of others, and we've got to do something. That's what's at operation here in the life of of Nehemiah. So here's the thing. The key to discovering the assignments God has for you is to be attentive to the burdens God places on your heart. Be attentive, aware that this is how God works and that he puts burdens on your heart. And this is how you find God's assignments and his work for you. Uh, A few weeks ago, I was up late one night later than usual, and I was reading, and I heard this noise, and it was a rhythmic noise, dong, 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 I'd never heard it before, dong, dong, and I, I got up and started going through the house, and I thought, is it a dripping, no, dong, 
Don't. And you know, I'm, I'm thinking all kind of things. You know, what is, is it a knocking? Is it a rapping? And I make my way. No, it's not in this room. And I go in another room and I get in a dining room and it's a clock. Don't. Don't. A clock that we'd had for a long time. And I thought, I've never heard this before. And I realized, I guess I've never been this quiet before. I'm always doing something or the television's on or, or there's activity or the dishwasher's running. And then I heard this that had been there all along, but I hadn't been attentive to it. And it could it be that the work of the Holy Spirit is in your life like that? He's in our world. He's in the life of a believer. And you want to know God's purpose and hear his assignments? You see what's happening in Nehemiah here? He's attentive to the burden that God placed on my heart. He says, would you begin to live that way, to be aware that there's a God who's leading you first to Christ and then into his purposes and his assignments for you? Now, the burden or the prompting came about when Nehemiah became aware of a need. A need will often prompt a burden in your life. Now, now you can, not every need in the world, though, is what God wants you to do. There's, you know, there's some people that they think they've got to be involved in every project, every cause, everything, and they, they wear themselves. It's okay to say no to some needs. But then there are going to be some needs that come and the, where the needs of the world intersect with the burdens of your heart is where you find God's purposes for you. Where the needs of the world and the burdens of your heart intersect is where you'll find God's purposes for you. Now, not every burden, not every time you feel a leading, it's not infallible. It's not infallible. Now, the Holy Spirit's infallible, but you're not infallible, and I'm not infallible. The transmitter's infallible, but the receptor is flawed. And so you need to test those things that you feel God putting on your heart, evaluate them. And that's what we have Nehemiah doing in the rest of this chapter. The rest of this chapter is Nehemiah's prayer. And here's what Nehemiah is doing. I want to share with you three things that he's doing and that we need to do so you, you evaluate your sense of calling to see if it's from God. Number one, pray about it. The rest of this chapter is prayer of Nehemiah. This is going to be a big theme in the book of Nehemiah. There are nine recorded prayers in the 13 chapters of Nehemiah. We're really going to emphasize prayer and talk about prayer. Because prayer is not only how you talk to God, but how you discern what God is doing in your life. And and so Nehemiah prays about this. Uh, He's felt the need, he feels the burden, but he prays about it. Let me begin to read this prayer of Nehemiah, verse 5. Then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We've acted very wickedly toward you. We've not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. He's praying about this. He's confessing sin. He's seeking, God, I want to be sure, is this what you you want me to do? And then the second thing he does is check 
against the purposes of God in the Bible. Check with Scripture. You check your sense of leading against the infallible purposes of God as revealed in Scripture. So the next part of this prayer, he says, remember, he's reminding God, he's claiming the promise, verse 8, remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses saying, if you're unfaithful, I'll scatter you among the nations, but if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exile people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I've chosen as a dwelling for my name. That's from Deuteronomy. Moses wrote in Deuteronomy. And Moses had predicted the disobedience. And he said, but if you return, I'll restore. So he knew this was in line with the purposes of God. What Nehemiah is feeling, I'm a cupbearer of the king here in Persia, but 750 miles away, my homeland, the walls are broken down. I've got to go back there and do something about that. And so he's checking, is this just my idea? How do I know this is God's purpose for me, God's will for me? He checks it against the big purposes revealed in Scripture, and he recalls what Moses said in Nehemiah that this is the overall plan of God. And then third, the third thing he does, he gets ready to to do something. The third thing to do, watch for God to open a door. Watch to see what God's going to do and then join him. God stirs a burden in your heart. He prays. He checks it with scripture. And then he says, I want to see what you're going to do, God. I'm ready to join you. Let me read verses 10 and 11. They are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. This man is the king. Next verse says, I was cupbearer to the king. He's going to go talk to the king about this and he's asking God to pave the way, to open the door. God, you're going to have to do this, but I'm ready to join you in what you're going to do. You see? You pray, you check with scripture, and then you get ready for God to work in your life, in your world, and you join him where he's working. What's going to happen? You come back next week and we'll see how this unfolds. But for today, do you see what God says about he has a work for you. As he had a work for Nehemiah and he put that burden, that prompting on his heart. And could it be that the Holy Spirit is trying to speak to you and you've been like me and my clock just so preoccupied with other things that you'd never really heard what was there all along? Would you open your heart today to the communication of the great and awesome God of heaven that he is speaking to you today. And if you're here and you're not a believer, then today he is convicting you of sin and righteousness and judgment. Do you see what that is? And if you'll come to respond to that, he'll forgive your sin so that your guilt will be gone the right way. He'll give you his righteousness and he'll exempt you from judgment. We're going to stand and sing in a moment doing an invitation song, and I'm going to invite you, if that's true in your life, that you want to be forgiven of your sin and you want to have a different destiny, would you come forward and say, I want to be a follower of Jesus? You can be baptized in a couple of weeks to indicate that. I invite you to do that. But for those of us who are already believers, would you open your heart today to say, God, I want my life to be significant.
I want it to be more than just going to work and taking care of my family, as important as those are. But in my family and in my work and beyond that, I want to know what you have for me. And I want to fulfill your purpose. I, bring it, I believe it will be the greatest fulfillment and significance of my life. And so, Lord, I see how you did it with Nehemiah, and I want to begin to do that in my life. I want to be open to your prompting. I want to be attentive to your voice. I want to do the work that you have for me. When we stand and sing in a moment, would you just say that to God and let him begin to guide you on a great journey and adventure in your life? Stand together with me. If you need a church home in the same way, we invite you to join our church. Come forward this morning as we sing. What a great day as we begin a new year to make a new commitment to Christ and to join his church. You come as we sing.